Welcome back to the Behind the Net podcast. As always, I'm Matthew, your, uh, one of your co-hosts, and joined join today is my other co-host. Hey guys, it's me, Michael. Uh, we got a pretty fun episode today. Is it, what is this, episode 30... 36. I almost said 37. I was going to be really, <laughs> look really stupid if I said that. Episode 36, we've been uh, going strong, and honestly, with sports coming back, uh, I'm just super energized, like a uh, podcast going strong, uh, you know, the Toronto teams are doing great right now, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. I don't even want to waste any time, but quickly, Michael, how are you this week? I've been good, man. Really good mood as always. Uh, been working a lot, but uh, can't complain too much. What about you? Of course, same. Been in a good mood, uh, a much better mood now that, uh, again, sports are back. Uh, I'm keeping more busy. Of course, I'm writing more for uh, the Leafs Nation. Um mm-hmm. I'm I'm back to gifting uh Raptors games as you are back to gifting uh Leafs games. So uh, yep. that's always fun and uh yeah, it's just it's just a, it's just a great time right now and, and things are looking up. Um oh, absolutely. We have a great great episode coming up uh just uh I'll just spoil it right now. We have two great guests on today. We have Ian Hunter um, to talk about the Blue Jays, and then we also have Nick D'Souza, one of our fellow Leafs Nations contributors, to uh, talk about the Leafs. So that's later in the episode, so stay tuned. But yeah. uh, before we even get into those, uh, I definitely just want to, we could kind of do a rapid fire for the news that's kind of broken out this uh, week in sports. Um, first, I, I, I want to start off this week with baseball, which uh, is arguably the biggest uh, the biggest topic that's been uh, happening this week. First, before we actually get into the bulk of it, um, I want to talk about the Blue Jays. Of course, they're three and three right now, and uh, I mean, that's that's been pretty good for the Blue Jays right now. And um, again, uh, I mean, you'll hear later when we were talking to Ian, but of course, this is more like a sprint than a marathon with this shortened season. So, uh, what? How? How? How do you feel about the Blue Jays so far, Michael? Like, um, obviously, with their they've they've been through ups, they've been through downs so far. They've blown leads already but um just what what do you think of uh, the blue jays so far i think to be completely honest this team is much more watchable than it was last year mm-hmm. if anyone was following the blue jays in 2019 at least for the first couple months they would know very well how tough to watch how tough it was to watch the blue jays night in and night out i can attest to it because i actually worked at the blue jays as a sales associate and uh people in the in the crowds were pretty much bored to death with what they saw. And it was true because there's not a lot of prospects there. But slowly, Vladdy came up, uh, Biggio came up, Bichette came up, and the team was much more fun to watch in the latter half of the season. And now all three of those guys are up, plus a bunch of others. It's been much more enjoyable. Yes, this is still a young team. Yes, they still have a lot of mileage left on their uh, careers, and they're still learning uh, how to, what it takes to win. But that doesn't mean this team is not going to be boring. I think... Even with all the uh, struggles we've seen so far and the inconsistencies, this is still going to be a fun team to watch. I don't think they make the playoffs. I don't know what you think, but uh, I think it's just going to be much more enjoyable than it was last year. That's for sure. I 100% agree. This team is much more watchable now, and it's just a testament to show, um, obviously, when you're rebuilding a team like this, you got to give it time. So this is that step in the next direction. And, uh, I mean, I think this team actually has a legitimate chance of being kind of an underdog to making the playoffs obviously with this new season it honestly might be a little easier to make the playoffs um so there's that and i think that just adds to the uh the fuel for the team uh the fire and the drive and i think it adds to the excitement for the fans uh and again i mean it's very early 
uh, so far. But, I mean, let's not forget, uh, you know, they could be doing worse right now. A lot of teams have uh, started um, their season a little, you know, with a worse record. And it's important this season to start off, you know, on a good note because uh, it's a shortened season. So I think it's great that the Blue Jays, even though they had three losses, that's still, you know, better than losing more than that. Oh, absolutely. And they have been playing well in the games that they've won, but in the games that they've lost, they've just looked really, it's been frustrating to see at times. Like last night, we saw them uh, play a really, had a, saw a really good performance out of Nate Pearson, their rookie, their star young uh, pitcher. And then Romano was playing really well, but then they just struggled in the extra innings. So this is the kind of thing that we're going to be seeing all year, like some really positive performances, some struggles, but overall just progression all around. But sure. there's one thing that I'm worried about is just if this thing is even going to work. And you're, we're going to talk about this just briefly before we get into our, our first interview. But the Miami Marlins got a lot of COVID tests recently, a lot of positive COVID tests. And now there's worries about uh, or calls for the season to get canceled. I have to ask you, do you think the MLB could have done a better job preparing for this season? Well, I honestly do think uh, that they could have uh prepared a little better i mean we do know that um the mlb major league baseball has been like when they were planning their return to play it kind of came right right down to the wire you know it was very up and down um with the negotiations they one day it looked like they wouldn't uh continue playing and one day it looked like they would and i really feel like it like it was an afterthought you know like the their priority was getting back to play, but they kind of put the whole pandemic in the back of their mind a little. And I was concerned when, you know, you look at the NBA and the NHL doing their bubbles. And then you look at baseball where they're kind of just, they, they, they believe that they can just kind of travel and, uh, you know, uh, go on with their business as usual. And I, I was kind of skeptical about that because, because obviously we've been, recommended uh not to be traveling a lot during this time even if they're you know traveling through private planes and things like that it's just not that safe um and it's also easy easy to spread um when you come into contact with people um with COVID-19 but uh I, I I definitely don't like how it started and now it looks like there's consequences and really I don't know what what the league's going to do obviously we know the Miami Marlins are taking a, a pause to uh, regroup and figure this out. But let's not forget, um, will this impact the teams they faced? Could this happen with another team? We've, we saw when this when this first happened, when, when uh, COVID first reached the NBA back in March, it, it basically caused all sports to shut down. Um, could this cause the whole season to be canceled? Um, I, I honestly think maybe they'll have to take a pause to regroup as a league. But what do you think? Uh, before we quickly get into our... Uh, before we get into our next interview, just I just quickly want to know, do you think the season could be canceled? There's definitely potential for the season to get canceled. And I think fans have to realize that there's that possibility. Like, just as much as it's possible that the season does continue on and uh, everything goes just fine after a minor blump at the start, uh, there's just as much of a possibility that another team could get sick and even more could get COVID tests. And then what do you do? You have to cancel the season at that point. I mean, obviously... It's pretty great. It's like it's an endearing challenge. No, no doubt about it. But if you don't have any proper preparation in place, 
you run situations like this. Now, I give the MLB credit. They have recently made some changes. They're now going to make players wear surgical masks during travel, and players are encouraged now to not leave their hotels except for games. So it's one step, but they should have done this right away. And if more players get sick, they'll have no one to blame but themselves for the season getting uh, ending so early. 100%. Um, I completely agree there. So we'll just have to see how things pan out and what the, the, the league decides. Um but here's to hoping that, of course, the players' safety and their health is the priority at all times. So here's to hoping that no further outbreaks occur and uh, that they can control the situation. Absolutely. We can only hope for that. But let's just go into our first interview. As, we, as Matthew mentioned at the top of the show, our first interview is going to be Ian Hunter, who we've already had on the podcast before, but he, and he was an awesome guest. But we're happy to have him back on to talk about the Blue Jays season, uh, the current outbreak with the Marlins, and just whether or not this season can continue. So let's go into that interview right now. On today's podcast, we are excited to bring back Ian Hunter onto the show. For those of you who don't know, he is the lead baseball writer at Daily Hive Toronto and a contributor at the Jays Nation. You may know him better for his site on the Jays called Blue Jays Hunter. Welcome back, Ian. How's it going? It's doing well. It's nice to chat with you guys about actual real live Major League Baseball in 2020. It's kind of weird. Of course. I mean, uh, when we had you on last a uh, couple months ago, it was obviously we were just kind of talking about the situation we were in and the um you know we were trying to you know come up with topics to talk about uh in the absence of baseball but now we have baseball back so it's it's definitely a lot more to talk about and we're super excited um but yeah how, how have you been doing today um yeah it's, it is uh it's been kind of weird like not having i mean baseball has been around but just like now this would be, this is like right around MLB's trade deadline, right? This is when the season has basically reached the halfway point and it's all, we're at the beginning of the season. Last week was opening, well, technically actually today when we're talking is the Blue Jays home opener, uh, quote unquote. So it's it's weird. I think like most people I've lost track of like months and days and whatnot, but it's it's cool to see baseball back for now at least. For sure. I feel like I feel like just having sports in general back has given a lot of us a, like kind of a sense of, you know, busyness in a way. Like mm-hmm. even if we're not doing anything, we're just able to watch games. And then, like you said, it, you know, for the longest time, it felt like we didn't even know what day it is. Um, but now, like things are seemingly more in order because we have like sports and games to look forward to on certain days. Yeah, and it's also like I was talking back and forth with some friends last night, and I was, I was like, wait, wait a second, there's a Leafs game on too. Like this is so strange. Like all the sports are coming on, NBA is coming back. Um, it, it as you said, it is kind of nice to have something to uh, to watch in the evening, and you know, fantasy sports is back as well. I don't know if you guys play that, but it's you know something else oh, yeah. to kind of chew up some some of your time during the day and. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have these things back, even though it's weird to not have fans in the stands and it's weird to not be at the game, but it is cool to uh, have it on TV as a distraction. 
Oh, absolutely. Just getting that sense of normalcy is something I've been really looking forward to. But if there's one thing that we've been looking forward to, uh, at least for a lot of Blue Jays fans, was a full season with uh, Vladdy, Bichette, and Biggio. And we talked about this before on the uh, the previous podcast, but now that we're actually seeing it in action, what's been your early impressions of the season so far? Um, I mean, I try not to get too ahead of myself because we're you know less than 10 games into the schedule. Um, but I would say... Like off the top, someone like Bo Bouchette, I would say he came, he's come as advertised so far. Like he's just been a really a treat to watch at the plate. Like he, um, the, uh, the first game they played, um, against the Rays, like he was working some really good at bats against Charlie Morton, like seven, eight pitch at bats, which I mean, that's, I mean, you know, Morton's like a Cy Young caliber pitcher and you've got a rookie here working a deep count, which is really impressive. Um, you know, Biggio has gone deep, so that's nice to see. I would say with Vladdy, um, you know, the, the, the move of him to first base kind of caught me by surprise. And I think it caught a lot of people by surprise because earlier this year, there was no talk of him moving across the diamond. And then, you know, all of a sudden it happened, I think it was like two weeks ago, the Blue Jays said, oh yeah, he's basically a first baseman now. And uh, I would say at the plate, aside from that homer the other night, you know, it's been a lot of swinging on a lot of pitches outside the strike zone. And it was like the Vladdy that we saw at the end of last year, the, the Vladdy that was tired and hitting a lot of ground balls. Um, so I would say, again, small sample size, I would say it's been a little disappointing on Vladdy's side, but Egeo Bichette, I would say, have come at a, as advertised so far. Absolutely. I, I tend to agree. Biggio, especially early in the early parts of the seasons, uh, I remember the Ray series, he was really uh, effective. And I think uh, what people t- tended to forget was that he was still on an on-base streak from that dated back to last season, and he picked up right where he left off. But I think Vladdy, for sure, has been a bit of a surprise just of how slow sluggish his, bit, his start of the season is. Like, only yesterday was his f- first home run, and even then it was kind of a bit of luck. So it'll be interesting to see how those three play out. But uh, is there anyone else? has there anyone else on the team besides those three uh, we talked about that really stood out to you? Um, I would just say the starting pitching staff as a whole. Um, I can't remember exactly what the number is, but... Um, I saw there was a uh, stat, I think something like the Blue Jays, the first turn through their starting rotation, they had an ERA of like 2.35 or something like that, which is, I'd say that's pretty stellar. Like considering, you know, that doesn't even include Nate Pearson in that, in that first turn, it was, um, you know, Tanner Roark and Hyun Ryu, Matt Shoemaker, like all these guys looked really impressive in their starts. And I mean, they're not pitching deep into ball games i mean nobody really is because you know this is essentially them they're still kind of working up their their pitch counts but i would say the the starting pitching staff as a whole has really kind of been a pleasant surprise so far um so that that's and then now all of a sudden you add nate pearson to the equation and it's like i feel like pearson is must watch bait or <laughs> must watch uh Blue Jays baseball at this point. So he, he makes a, a really good starting rotation so far, even better. It seems like for sure. For sure. And um, who do you think could be the team's X factor this season? Oh man. So, so tough. Um, 
might be doing a bit of recency bias here, but maybe I'll I might I might pick Jordan Romano actually. Um especially if this Ken especially if this Ken Giles injury tends to if it if it's a long term thing and he's out for the season or if he's out for I don't know, a month or two, which is you know, basically the rest of the season. Um I'd say Romano has looked really good on the on the mound so far and you know, he's throwing like high 90s, 98, 99. Um, he's got a really tight slider. Um, so I think he's someone who very quickly, he's probably going to elevate himself to the back end of the Blue Jays bullpen. I mean, he's essentially there as the seventh inning guy already. And it's only a week into the season. Um, someone like that. Um, I don't know. It, it it really depends on what happens here, but maybe someone like Rowdy Telez, which is he's someone, he's a guy who I've kind of gone back and forth on because like he's a first baseman DH. Um, he's not going to impact the game defensively, not the fastest base runner, but man, he got a hold of like, he hit 21 homers last year as a rookie, which is still pretty impressive. He didn't even have full playing time. So, um, I don't know. I, I could see him running into a, quite a few home runs already. I think he already has one. So I guess I'll pick, um, I guess I'll pick Rowdy and Jordan Romano, but I, I'll, I'll warn you ahead of time. Anytime I pick breakout players, it, it, almost the exact opposite happens. So <laughs> we'll, uh, this, that might be the kiss of death for those guys, but that's, those will be my picks for now. I really like the that you mentioned Romano. Like I remember watching one of those uh, exhibition games uh, against the Red Sox. Uh, that, that slider you mentioned was really elusive, and he uh, fooled that. I can't remember the batter's name, but it was really good. And we're watching. Obviously, if you guys don't know, we're wa- recording this during the middle of a Jays game where they're the home team against the Nationals, mm-hmm. and he just had a very impressive uh, seventh inning, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this like it's it's amazing that the Blue Jays like let him go essentially he was a like picked up by he was a rule five picked by the chicago white Sox. i think they grabbed him and then they traded him over to the texas rangers and then last year he came back to the blue jays because if you don't keep a rule fiver on your roster the whole year they go back to the original team so romano rejoined the blue jays last year and there were kind of some signs that he might be you know a really nice back into the bullpen pitcher but yeah he's i think what he did is he like pared down his repertoire so he's just fastball slider and Mm -hmm. he kind of has this like ken giles thing going on like he does this little it's hard to like explain but he does this little dip where he kind of gets his body ready and it's very ken giles-esque and he's also throwing high 90s just like ken giles and also throwing a slider just like ken giles so I don't know. Maybe Romano steps in and maybe the Blue Jays don't miss Giles all that much because they've got uh, the Canadian version of him uh, on the mound. Now, I don't want to say there's going to be a closer controversy when Ken Giles returns, but do you see that there's going to potentially be a conflict of uh, potentially trying to fit both players into the uh, in games? Or are we going to see similar to what happened during the Jays' heydays where Aaron Ward and uh, Tom Henke yeah, um, I don't know. I I don't think it's going to be a two-headed closer situation. I because um, when players are going into free agency, like Ken Giles is, um, sometimes the managers kind of tend to favor the veteran guys because they also know that those players are trying to um, to build value. Now, mm-hmm. 
Ken Giles comes back and he shows he's ineffective and you just can't get guys out or whatever, and they don't send him back to the IL, then that's a different story. But I mean, if Ken Giles returns and he's the same Giles that he was, that he has been the last two years with the Blue Jays, I think he just plots back into his closer role and, and Jordan Romano is, is either the seventh inning guy or he's the, uh, the setup guy to, um, to Giles. So, We'll see what happens in the next few weeks. I think it's going to be really crucial because I have a sneaking suspicion that this might be a long-term injury for Giles, but I'm I'm not a doctor by any means, but we're, we're you're hoping for uh, hopefully a, a short stint on the, on the aisle. Absolutely. And it's just, we can only hope that uh, Ten Giles does come back sooner rather than later, but uh, if Romano keeps playing like he has been, it won't be too bad. But uh, I want to just focus now on the starters. I know we have a very limited uh, work sample to go off of for all of them, but which of them have impressed you the most and have impressed you the least? Um, I mean, I would say probably the one who's impressed me the most. I mean, Hyunjin Ryu. I mean, maybe just because he's, you know, coming over from the National League, um, the National League West, traditionally a pitcher's division, uh, tra- traditionally a lot of pitcher ballparks out there. So um, Rio's going to be pitching in a lot of smaller ballparks in the AL East. Um, I thought he handled the Rays pretty decently. He kind of ran out of gas near the end. He was giving up a lot of hard hit balls, but I mean, that's to be expected with a guy who's making his first big league start of the season, right? Um so I'd pick Ryu, and then I don't know. I feel like no one's really pitched that poorly. Like, I mean, maybe Trent Thornton, but again, like he's he was decent in his start. He wasn't bad by any means, but it's kind of to be expected as a guy who's you know making a back end start. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot can change in the in the course of a week, but I'd go with. Rio is the most impressive so far, and Thornton is a, a quote-unquote disappointment. I I mean, I know he's not a starter, but I know of one guy who hasn't been playing well. And that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I think I hear his name pronounces like uh, Cham Cavilio. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um. I mean, I will, he's been taking, well, maybe not him so much taking a lot of flack, but more so Charlie Montoyo um, for kind of putting Sam Gavilio in these high leverage situations, which is really strange because last season with the Blue Jays, Gavilio was traditionally the low leverage guy. He's someone who's coming in when, you know, the Blue Jays are losing by five or six runs or they're up by, by five or six runs. Um, he's not really entrusted with these make or break innings. And yet um, he's now made two appearances this season where he's in, I, well, a tied ball game or late in the game. And luckily tonight um, the blue Jays are facing the nationals that didn't cost them. It very could have, but when over the weekend in Tampa Bay, it did because, you know, Sam Gavillo came in and he's not exactly throwing gas out of the bullpen and, he didn't have his his best stuff. I think he even balked in a run, which is, you know, bizarre to see. But yeah, it's it's some. I think this really should be reinforcing to Charlie Montoyo that this is a guy who 
shouldn't be entrusted with big innings. I understand when, you know, your pitching staff, you've only got so many guys to go to. And I, you could have chalked it up to that case in Tampa against the Rays, but this is the set now the second time that this has happened. So I'm, I feel like this is a disturbing trend and I really hope that, you know, Charlie Montoya stops it because it already cost the Blue Jays a ball game and luckily it didn't cost them today, but it could in the future. For sure. For sure. Um, going into, I guess, talking about the upcoming season or, or what we have of this shortened season, um, what are your expectations really for the Blue Jays this season? Obviously, they're taking a step forward from the young, um, you know, low, lower expectations from last season. But now it's it's kind of moving uh, and progressing and, and the ball's kind of rolling. So how far do you think they can go realistically in this kind of altered season? Yeah, I think most heading into the season, um, most people expected them like at best they might finish with a 500 record. And as of now, I would say 500 is not really all that too aspirational. Like for them to win 30 games would be, I'd say that's a pretty good, um, a pretty good uh, yardstick to reach, but you know, the thing that's changed is that all of a sudden the playoffs have opened up now and it's going to be eight teams from every league. Um, and I just checked fan graphs and like, as of this moment, the Blue Jays have a 39% uh, playoff odds, which are like pretty decent. You know, even if you're going in as a bottom seed in the American League, you're probably facing a, a division winner, a top team, you know, like the like the Yankees or the or the Astros or whatnot. But still like, I think that's just going to make things way more exciting. Like to have these like young teams at the bottom facing against these, you know, dominant teams at the top. I think it's going to make for really interesting. And like, if somehow the blue Jays squeak in, I think it's going to be great. Like if they didn't open up those playoffs, I don't, I don't think they would have had a chance, but just the fact that, you know, it's a shortened season, anything can happen. There's so much randomness over the course of 60 games. You've got players, coming or not deciding not to play. You have teams who are shutting themselves down. I mean, this is all, of course, under the pretense that the season actually finishes, which I'm not convinced is going to happen. But um, yeah, it's it's going to make for a, an exciting season like because you, every game does matter. These decisions that Charlie Montoya is making has an effect on the game. And losing a get one game is extremely important now. Not that it wasn't before, but when it's only 60, um, you're in this pressure cooker environment. So, I mean, 39%, those are, those are pretty decent odds, I would say. Mm-hmm. And um, if they do, let's say they do uh, squeak into the playoffs uh, this season. Um, do you think that the Blue Jays should kind of be taken seriously as like a, a potential underdog? Or do you think this should just be, you know, kind of a bonus um, to the development of this uh, young core? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, if you like, if, this is the time to definitely get your playoff experience. Um, I think that is maybe one thing that could negatively affect a team that hasn't seen the bright lights of October before. Like it's happened all too often where teams will, you know, they'll just steamroll a division. They'll win a hundred plus games. They're a young team. They've never seen the playoffs before they get into the playoffs and they just, it's like a deer in the headlights, right? It, it happens in every league, not just Major League Baseball. So um, this might be an opportune time for these young players to kind of 
experience this firsthand because I don't think there's many, if any, well, Hyunjin Ryu at least, but there are some players on the Blue Jays right now who've pitched in the playoffs and pitched in the World Series, which is advantageous. But I mean, ideally, you want guys like Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to to play on these really uh, crucially important games. And um, to answer your first question, I mean, yeah, if you're a a team in your face in the Blue Jays, I mean, that's extremely scary. A three-game series, you could potentially throw Hyunjun Ryu, Nate Pearson, and Matt Shoemaker at you. I mean, that's a, I'd say that's a pretty decent starting three. Um, and you would never, you'd be, uh, you would you should never underestimate a team like that. If it's a one seed facing off against an eight, you never underestimate that team because anything can happen over the course of, of three games. So yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if they do squeak in, I think that's, as you said, it'll be a bonus. Like nobody was expecting the Blue Jays to make the playoffs this year. Um, and hopefully they can, if they do, hopefully they build upon that and, and it just gives them experience moving forward. For sure, for sure. Um, I think either way, it's it's going to be an exciting season. It's kind of like a wild card season because things are a little more in reach. And it's almost like saying, you know, usually they say it's the season is a marathon. But now with the shortened season, it's looking more like a sprint and who can kind of hit the ground running a little more um, and, and sustain that for a short, uh, a shorter term. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just look right now, like the Na- the Nationals are defending um World Series champs and they've got a, a one in four record, right? Like they've, I mean, if you struggle out of the gate, that puts you behind and that could leave contending teams in the dust. And that could also push teams like the Blue Jays or, you know, if you want to get crazy, maybe in the Baltimore Orioles somehow sneak out and get, because it is only a 60 game sprint. You're just, you're trying to go, go, go win every single game um, and make, really crucial decisions to put your team in the best position. So yeah, it's, um, it's that, that's kind of what I'm really looking forward to because this season in many ways is nothing like any other baseball season we've ever seen before. And I think even to the casual fan, it just makes it even more exciting to watch because you might see some teams in there that you've never seen before, like the blue Jays. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, on that note, I want to kind of take you back to, Obviously, the last time we spoke, um, there was there wasn't even a plan in place to return to play. We were kind of just it was all up in the air. Um, but I, I kind of want to ask, what was your initial reaction to the MLB's uh, return to play plan? Obviously, it took a little more time for them to figure out exactly how to do and negotiate both sides. But what was your initial reaction to the final decisions? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, as we're seeing now, it just kind of seemed like it was an afterthought, like. Putting this all together, I mean, you see teams like, or sorry, leagues like the NBA and the NHL, they were really careful about this and decided to go the bubble route, which I think is, if you're going to do it, that's definitely the way to do it, right? You have way more control over it. Whereas MLB, I mean, they were, they were negotiating to the 11th hour, whether they were even going to play this season. So um, the funny thing was because NBA and NHL, they were in the midst of their season. I thought they were actually in a worse position to come out of it, but they were the ones who came out looking like the better ones. And MLB had more time to figure this out, and they somehow screwed it up worse worse than any other league. Um, To me, it's still, I don't think it's going to work because you've got 
teams flying in and out of states with hotspots in the United States. Um, you know, there's no, there is no bubble. You can go where you please. Um, there's a lot of self-policing involved, which, and I'm sure most players are adhering to it, but all it takes is one player to go rogue and catch something and bring it back and could be a complete disaster. Like we're seeing with the Miami Marlins right now, like half their team, um, has COVID-19, which is like, it just blows my mind right now that they're even that this league hasn't shut down. So I don't know. I don't, I didn't like the plan. I mean, I enjoy that there's baseball on right now, but mm-hmm. in the back of my head, I'm like, how much, how much longer is this going to last? If it, if it continues the way it is, it seems like it's only a matter of time before other teams are, it affects other teams just as it has the Marlins. So, um, uh, yeah, it's it's and it's rapidly changing, right? It, next week we could talk and it could be shut down, but I don't, I don't, I didn't like the way they did it. Um, I think it was not as prepared as the other leagues. I wish they would have more time into it, but unfortunately, that's uh, this is the product that we got. On the subject of the Marlins, uh, so for those who don't know, the Marlins have been getting a high number of positive tests, and uh, their season's been pretty much on pause for an entire week. Do you think that the number of positive tests was an inevitability or could a league have done a better job of preventing players from catching COVID? Well, the other thing too, is that there was, um, even now, I think it was Juan Soto was, he said he was kind of mad because he, you know, he kept testing negative, but he wasn't getting consecutive negative tests. And, um, earlier this year, I think it was Sean Doolittle was saying something like, you know, they were, were getting tested often but they weren't they were still cleared to play even though they weren't testing negative so it was just a lot of questions about it and it wasn't there wasn't like a really concrete like yes we're doing this maybe they were doing it but they just weren't mlb wasn't being upfront about it Mm -hmm. um even though i think i saw a tweet earlier this week saying something like the league had made like over 6,000 tests and the majority of them came back negative. But I mean, as we've seen, right, like it doesn't take very much or very many positive tests to kind of run rampant throughout major league baseball. Um, so yeah, it's, I really think major league baseball could have done a way better job. I think it's just the league and it's like anybody right now, they want to be in business. They want to make money. They've mm-hmm. lost a ton of money because they can't put fans in the stands, but at least they can recoup some of the costs through like TV revenue and they're trying to push it through. And I think if it continues the way it does, I think we're going to see very quickly that that was kind of like haphazardly put together and they should have spent more time creating a bubble system like the NBA or the NHL. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I think the question I think people will be asking is just uh, if this season is going to even be finished. So I have to ask you, knowing everything that we know right now and just the state of baseball as it is, do you think this season gets finished? Why or why not? Uh, I don't know. If, if you had to ask me right now, I thought earlier in the week, I felt like it was on the cusp of being shut down uh, just because we there was like something, there was like 11 tests, 11 positive tests on the Marlin that's since increased. Um, I don't know. Like my gut tells me, I don't think it's going to get finished just because of this whole system where, you know, the blue Jays, 
I think in August, they're supposed to be flying into Miami to play the Marlins, which is, you know, kind of disturbing. Um, the Blue Jays also have war games to play against the Rays in Tampa Bay. So you're going back into Florida. Um, you know, for the most part, they are they're they are just staying to their interdivisional games and their interleague games, but it's just I feel like there's way too many variables. That's the thing. When you know, the NBA and NHL, they they're doing the bubble system, they took out a ton of the variables that could make this thing go sideways. Uh MLB did not. They limited travel, yes, but these teams are still traveling. They're still traveling into hotspots. Um, so, yeah, if you had to ask me, I mean, the baseball fan of me doesn't want to see this happen, but I do feel like it's kind of inev- inevitable that, you know, the league's going to get shut down. Uh, just because, like, if you've got a team right now, one week in, and half of their team's down, like, just imagine what it's going to be like in two weeks or three weeks or a month. So... We will see what happens. I hope it doesn't happen, but I just have this sneaking suspicion that, you know, the season is not going to make it to the finish line. For sure. And um, do you do you have any suggestions or ideas that um, that maybe the league could, uh, you know, do to, to salvage the uh, season? I mean, really, at this point, the only thing you could do is like basically put the entire um, season on pause and just say, okay, we're going to shut it down for two weeks. Um, not going to travel wherever you are, stay where you are. Uh, we're going to keep testing you every day and, you know, have like a whatever 14 days and make sure everybody tests negative and then start rolling things up again. But I don't know. I don't see Major League Baseball doing that. Um, it didn't sound like Rob Manfred. I mean, he made comments earlier in the week, but he sounded like he was concerned, but it was not to a case where it's like, oh my we're going to shut this thing down or we're on the cusp of doing it. Um, so I think the, the thing is they're being reactionary. They're not being proactive about it. They're just kind of reacting, waiting to see what happens. Fingers crossed, hoping that the season continues rather than putting the system in place that would have protected the players and prevented the spread of this disease. So um, yeah, it's, that's kind of, that's how I feel. But I mean, Maybe next year is completely different. I don't know. I realize there's no playbook for this, by the way, right? Like mm-hmm. every every commissioner is kind of making this up as they go. But I think some commissioners are putting their teams and their players and owners and everybody in a way better position. Major League Baseball is. So that's kind of, I guess that's what I would do, right? If it's the way it is, shut it down for a couple of weeks, see what happens, and then hope that everybody tests negative and then get rolling. Um, that's, I guess that's the only suggestion I would have other than just scrapping the season entirely and then starting fresh next year. For sure. I think it's definitely, you know, the outlook on the season is starting to look a little grim, but I think they do. I personally think they might have to take a, a break, like you said, and kind of regroup and then reconsider their plans. Um, so we'll see what comes about with that. But uh, our final question is just uh, assuming the season does continue as, as scheduled, what's your uh, super early prediction for the World Series? Oh, man, this is a good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I wanted to like scare people and kind of say the Baltimore Orioles, but I don't I think I don't think that will happen. Um, I I feel like the Tampa Bay Rays are like, I mean, they're out to a hot start, but their pitching staff is just so good. 
um, like ideally you're the blue, if you're the blue Jays, you look at the rays and you're like, man, that, that could be us because they've kind of made the blueprint for what a pitching staff should be. And I don't think anybody can replicate it. So I think they are going to, I feel like they're like destined for the playoffs for sure. And especially in a short series, um, they have some really stellar starting pitching and they can throw it in a short series. Um, you know, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, Tyler glass. Now, like those are three of the best arms in the American league. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go with the rays or maybe the twins. The twins are kind of a, like, I, I realized they squeaked into the playoffs last year. They added Josh Donaldson. Um, they made some other pitching acquisitions as well. They're like a really offensive heavy team. Kind of reminds me sort of like the Blue Jays of 2015, 2016. So, I mean, I would go, yeah, with either the Rays or the Twins out of the American League, maybe. And then, you know, it's not, it's a popular choice. It's an obvious choice, but like the Dodgers, right? Like they're just, you got, you got Mookie Betts, you re-signed them. Uh, you got Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, like a, an amazing pitching staff. They're one of the best teams in in baseball. So I think the Dodgers probably go back there. You figure they've got to win one of these ones, right? Like they just, every they're there every other year. You figure they've got to get over the hump. Maybe Mookie Betts helps them do that. And then I don't know if I pick another team, maybe like the Cardinals, like their team who kind of came out of the woodwork last year and nobody really predicted them to make their way into the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I would say the the Cardinals, but if you had if I had to pick two teams, I'll go Rays, Dodgers, World Series. Great, great picks. I, I think that would make a really exciting World Series, uh, even if it was during normal times. Uh, this has been a great interview, by the way. Uh, really enjoying this discussion. But before we let you go, we want to ask you one question that a fan asked. Uh, it's from Maha Khan, and she asked, "What's your favorite ballpark snack?" Oh man. Um... I feel like baseball for me is like, it always has to be a salty snack. Like it's gotta be for me. I always go to like corn, corn chips, like Fritos, corn nuts. Um, I'm not a really big, like popcorn guy at baseball games. Cause to me, the popcorn's gotta be hot. It's gotta have the butter, the fake butter on it. So like the movie theater style, style, you don't really get that at the ballpark. Um, and also peanut M and M's. Um, like I'll eat them anytime, but like especially at a baseball game. I remember, I forget what series it was. It was 2015. It was one of the playoff games, and our we were in the 500 level, and one person brought like one of those Costco sized, like industrial sized bags of peanut M and M's. And we just, this was obviously pre COVID and they just, they just kept passing it up and down the aisle. So we would all take a handful and pass it down to every person. Uh, like it's crazy to think of that now. Right. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. Peanut M&Ms, um, corn nuts, corn, corn chips, anything crunchy, anything salty is, is good in my books. Great pick. Great pick. I always go with the, like the usual hot dog. Always got to have a hot dog there at the game, but yeah, great pick. Love that. Uh, popcorn for me too and uh i have to say uh ian thank you once again for coming on our show thank you so much yeah it's been a it's been a blast to just have a chance to talk to you about baseball and i guess we we can only hope that one sam cavillia can get his act together (laughs) and two 
the season can can be finished. Yes, let's hope so. And the Charlie Montoyo stopped putting Sam Cavillo <laughs> in high leverage situations. <laughs> for sure. But we can uh, only hope. For sure. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for coming on and uh we hope you have a great night. Yeah, thanks very much. It was my pleasure to chat baseball and hope to talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. That was a great interview with Ian, as always. I mean, we had him early on the show uh, a couple months ago, and he was great then. And now with with baseball underway, um, so much insight from him. He's always a great time, uh, always a great person to talk to. Um, Amazing guy, too. Yeah, exactly. If you haven't already, please check out his work on his blog, uh, Blue Jays Hunter, his work at Daily Hive T.O., and the Jays Nation, and he also posts a bunch of gifts. Those are a lot of fun too, so definitely check that out. For sure. Um, and now uh, I think we'll move into some basketball talk. And uh, I mean, just as we were recording this, I wanted to address this, but breaking news from the NBA, um, the New York Knicks have hired Tom Thibodeau as their next head coach. I just saw the notification pop up uh, from Sham Sharania, um, uh, the senior lead NBA insider for The Athletic. And, uh, I mean, I think that's a huge move. Uh, it's, it's questionable. It's a questionable move for sure. Um, we're not really sure what direction the New York Knicks are heading in, but again, when do we ever know what direction they're heading in? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get that off. It's big basketball news. And and what do you think of that, Michael? I'd say it's an interesting hire. Um, just for anyone that's wondering when we're recording this, uh, Chimes tweeted this uh, two minutes ago. That's how recent this uh, this news dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely an interesting case. Um, we've seen him have a lot of success in Chicago, like early on, early in the 2010s. We like was that a product of Derrick Rose's strong player, just the team as a whole? Who's to say? But he's definitely he's definitely proved that he can coach a winning basketball team and to the playoffs. And they did come close a bunch of times. Uh, first was uh, in his first season going to the conference finals uh his stint in minnesota wasn't as successful only one trip to the playoffs and he was fired midway through the 2018-19 but i think in general this could be a good hire for the knicks uh could this be like the turning point uh, for their team to make it to f- out finally to the playoffs who's to say it's too early to call but they just need to have some stability from both the managerial standpoint and from the coaching standpoint Hopefully, this is finally uh, stability for them. But then again, this is the Knicks. You never know. 100%. 100%. I completely agree. Um, I think the, the Knicks are looking to, uh, you know, that this could be their guy that can turn around, especially this young core. And, of course, they're aiming for a top pick in this uh, year's draft as well. So they're just looking for that right fit. Of course, Thibodeau is leaning on his resume that he built, of course, with the Celtics um, as an assistant coach when he uh, when they won the championship in 2008, and with the Bulls, um, of course his his time as you said in with the Timberwolves was kind of uh, up and down, uh, but it was their first uh, playoff appearance in in 14 years, so you know you can't you can't fully blame him for that. Um, there was uh, arguably a lack of talent in some seasons, and and uh, as we saw a lot of internal problems between players and staff um mm-hmm. so 
I, I guess this is his fresh new start that he's been looking for. So it'll be definitely interesting what the Knicks future looks like and what they have planned. Um, but while we're talking basketball, just quickly, um, the Raptors, they've started playing. And I mean, as, as of today, we are uh, recording on July 30th and uh, the NBA is officially back today. The Raptors don't play yet. They play uh, Saturday, I believe. Um, but it doesn't matter because basketball's back and uh, we can talk about the Raptors because they played three scrimmage games and they were, went two, two and one. And uh, they honestly look so good. And I want to know your thoughts. I quickly just want to say shout out to the bench. The bench has been insane. And I really think that they'll be a huge piece as to why I think the Raptors will go pretty far, at least probably the conference finals in this uh, year's playoffs. Um, huge. I mean, again, it was just scrimmages, but they looked good, especially against the Rockets. And, uh, you know, it was a close game and then they kind of blew them out of the water after the uh, in the fourth quarter. That was when they really took uh, charge, especially the bench. So uh, shout out the bench. And I just want to know your your quick thoughts on the Raptors. I definitely agree with you uh, all on all the points that the Raptors do did look really good in the uh, scrimmages, uh, especially in their last game against the Phoenix Suns. Yes, it was a loss. And usually you'd say, oh, they didn't look good. But it's one of those losses that you, you can't be too mad at. They played really well. And that was a Suns team that was really motivated to play, and they, they really were trying to get their feet wet and uh, just just really get set the tone for uh, when they return because they really want to make the playoffs. I for think sure. the Suns really wanted to be want to be in the playoffs this year. But I digress in saying that the Raptors, you're right, looked amazing. They looked really good, and I think this is a team that uh, just like the Suns uh, from 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 the other night are motivated, even if. They uh, don't win a championship this year. I think a lot of fans will be happy with what they do because the expectations aren't as high as they were last year since Kawhi is no longer here and Danny Green is not here. But this team can, still has what it takes to do it. I think this team definitely has what it takes. And we saw from the tournament, uh, from the scrimmages, they looked really good. And I'm really excited to see what they do. Also, I want to shout out the bench's reaction to all the plays, especially during uh, the Rockets game. The, the Raptors bench celebrations are top notch. They, none of the other teams compare. I honestly love it. I love how, I mean, I maybe the uh, the fact that there's no fans gives, I think, the players a lot more comfortability to be themselves um, in, on the bench. And it's, it's, so, it's so awesome to see, especially Serge Ibaka. Um, but last note about the Raptors, I do want to give huge props to uh, Nick Nurse, um, who I think is um, no doubt the coach of the year. Um in my opinion, uh, again, I, I believe voting has ended for that um, with the media, but um, we'll see who wins it. But if you ask me, it's definitely Nick Nurse. Um, just the way he took this uh, Raptors team, again, lost two of their best players and still regrouped uh, to be, you know, one of the one of the NBA's best. And I think it's just his ability to switch up plays and really adapt to um you know what's being thrown at him with different teams. I mean, with uh, Dwayne with Dwayne Casey previously, the problem was that he didn't adapt and he didn't change up things uh, as uh, often as he should have. Um, but but Nick Nurse has shown he's not afraid to try new things. He's trying a new lineup, a uh, bigger ball lineup, and uh, it's just interesting to see. Um, I think that's he's the reason why the Raptors are such a huge underdog and wild card team. Absolutely. And I'm just looking forward to how they play in these playoffs. Uh, they definitely 
will fit in with the rest of the uh, contenders in the East. And if they make it to the finals, they definitely uh, hold up well with some of the teams. Does that mean they're going to win a championship this year? Who's to say? But I will say this. If the Raptors and Clippers meet in the finals, how sweet would it be if the Raptors won the championship? It would be it would be really sweet for the city of Toronto, I have to admit. Um, but <laughs> enough about basketball. Uh, I, I want to just uh, talk a little bit about the Leafs because our next uh, our next guest is uh, all about the Leafs. So uh, I just want to get your quick thoughts on the Leafs because they had a scrimmage on uh, Tuesday night against the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, they looked good. Of course, it was a scrimmage um, for both teams. They were just trying to get their feet wet. Um, so I want to ask you just how do you think the, uh, the Leafs looked, and especially Nick Robertson, who as, who everyone is hyped, uh, hyped about because um, he is the Leafs' top prospect and he's getting a shot at the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree that they played really well in their uh, first game back. Uh, obviously, it's a scrimmage, so you can't take too much out of it, and it's, it doesn't really count for anything. But I think overall, the Leafs looked really well. And Robertson, too, I think overall played played had a good first uh, impression in the NHL. Yes, there were a bit of nerves, uh, I'd say, in the first period. He took a an uncharacteristic penalty. Um, I, I mean, by uncharacteristic, like, it's not the kind of thing you'd really expect him to do. But I think it's just more of trying to get adjusted to uh, the different play style and just the physicality of the players because you don't really get that physicality in the CHL. But he definitely plays like he belongs. Um, just today, uh, the, just right now, the Leafs PR just tweeted that uh, Robertson remains on the third line with Kerfoot and Kapanen, which will likely be the uh, line he's on to start game one. And I think that he's definitely got a chance to uh, be not only be in the lineup uh, for game one and, be, and beyond, but also make an impact. I think this is a guy that uh, is hungry motivated really wants this and i think the least would be much better for it for sure for sure i mean uh, my opinion is pretty much the same as yours we know nick robertson is uh hungry as ever and honestly he could grow up into being one of those uh super serious hard-working robot-like players like we see with john Tavares, even like Kawhi leonard in a way um but that's always good because he has a great work ethic and he wants this roster spot and we know that and he's impressed in the first scrimmage and i think the leafs will give him a shot um these playoffs so we'll see because yeah he's played great again and um we'll, we'll just have to see that that third line is looking great now a lot more offensive power just by, by his insertion um and i'm just excited to see what the leafs can do in their first round series but uh with that i think we'll go into our first uh guest who can tell you guys a lot more about the leafs and their upcoming playoff series um we have nick d'souza a fellow contributor for the leafs nation uh me and michael right there we just started so um we'll go right into that interview right now Today we're happy to have Nick D'Souza on the podcast. Nick's a fellow contributor for the Leafs Nation and one of the co-hosts for the Everything Leafs podcast. Welcome to the show, Nick. How are you today? I'm doing good, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on. I'm, I'm really excited. I think we're only, what are we, three days away from uh, Leafs playoff hockey, so uh, I'm super excited for this one to talk about it today. It's definitely an exciting, course, exciting yeah. time, and uh, 
I mean, that kind of just leads uh, into our, actually, before we get into our first question about the Leafs, I did want to ask you, of course, so you're a fellow uh, contributor for the Leafs Nation. Me and Michael just uh, joined a couple weeks ago, uh, and everything's been great so far, but uh, Mm -hmm. of course, you've been there for a while, so how did you kind of get into writing about the Leafs, and what was your, uh, I guess, journey into uh, writing? Well, I I think just as a kid, I, I always wanted to do, like, sports journalism, and then um, I think until like grade 10, and then I kind of took a complete um, one eight, or 360, I guess it would be, where I think in grade 11, I pretty much changed all science courses um, and, and then went into healthcare. So now like fast forward like years later and I'm, I'm completely not like in journalism or any sports, um, you know, any sort of sports writing and then a friend of mine messaged me and said he was writing for a, a site called Armchair All-American. Uh, and this is now dating back to probably like 2014, 2015. And I just started writing like articles here and there. And then started writing for Editor and Leaf. Uh, I think in 2016, I started there and was there for about a year. Um, that, I, I know you guys were both on Editor and Leaf. I love that site. I thought mm-hmm. it was it really like kind of got my foot in the door in terms of, you know, writing a place where a lot of people are are listening and, you know, the comments there are great. So you, you always know if, if you make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and then I think with, with the Leafs Nation, it was I think it's almost two years now that I've been there. Um, it was actually Mike Stevens, um, who at the time was the editor at editor in leaf. Um, so I, I was done with edit, editor in leaf because, because of my schedule. Uh, with school uh, i just couldn't write like every six weeks and um i don't know if they still have it but back then like when they if you couldn't write every six weeks then the site would like kind of automatically um, have you off but uh and the editors there were great like bringing me back on and everything but um so anyways i i wasn't writing for them anymore and then after i think mike stevens and i were just talking and he said you should you should write for the leafs nation and i said that'd be awesome so he did me a big favor. He talked to Adam Muscaris, uh, and then I guess I guess the rest is history. Awesome, awesome. So mm-hmm. for you, it, it essentially started as kind of a side hobby, and, and then it kind of, uh, I guess, kind of got, he kind of got more into it. And yeah, like, I have to say, like, so your articles are, you know, some of my favorites to read uh, about, you know, analyzing the Leafs and uh, just, just those types of articles. But it's always so insightful, and um, it's, it's just great how, like you said, it kind of started as a hobby and then it kind of developed into something, uh, something that you could be really proud of now. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. First of all, I think um, like the last couple of weeks with Leafs Nation, John's done a really good job of bringing in some really good writers, including both of you. So I think I'm, I'm just excited like to learn from a lot from everyone that's, that's coming in. So And just in time for the playoffs. So it works out. 100%. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, Thank you. So let's just go into the Leafs talk now. Um, that was great to hear, first of all. But uh, in terms of just Leafs play, we only have, what, one exhibition game and a bunch of practices to go off of. But just based on what you've seen, uh, what have your impressions of the Leafs so far? Well, I think they're, they're playoff ready. I think that the, the couple weeks that they had in Phase 2 um, has kind of... Like, I was really impressed with the speed of the game on Tuesday. Uh, I thought they looked a step ahead of Montreal. And unfortunately, like we only have one game to really judge them on, and and they only have one game to tune up before, like literally game one is on Sunday. So 
Um, I think they've done the best that they can, and the organization in general has done a really good job making sure that these guys are ready. And I think they have the st a step ahead of the rest of the teams. And I think that they believe that too, based on the interviews and, and what's been said in training camp. So mm -hmm. um, they have a, they have a tough matchup. They have a team that is almost the polar opposite to them, but um, I think, you know, they're the favorite and they're probably the, the favorite for the first time in this course, you know, in, in, the, in the last three, three or four years, like definitely they're the favorite in going into a playoff series. So uh, I expect them to win. I think we all expect them to win too, but uh, we all we all know the as Lee fans, this team has uh, the capabilities of uh, getting our hopes up and letting them down. But <laughs> I, that's just putting it lightly, though. But if there's any players that you've seen in just this, this brief time that has given you reason that this team can't do it, who are the players? Who are players that you've been really impressed with? Uh, yeah, I guess the easy answer would be Ilya Mikheyev, um, just a player that had really bad luck this year in terms of his injuries seems like he was really hitting his stride I really liked him at even strength when he was playing earlier this year and then had that big injury and, and you know kind of this break from hockey has given him almost second a second chance here um to kind of salvage the season so just based on how everyone's been saying in terms of him playing at training camp and and how he looked on Tuesday I thought he fit perfectly with that Tavares and Marner line um, just his skill set, like his speed and, and his ability to puck hunt and um, even a little bit of finishing ability. I think he's the perfect player to go there, uh, especially in the absence of, of having Janssen injured. So uh, I think that would be the easy answer. And that line in itself is going to be playing against top uh, competition. So against Columbus, I think they're the better line than, than the Dubois and Borstrand line. So mm -hmm. um, they're going to be, they're going to be, be they're going to be played a lot, and, um, and and I think they're going to have to bring it. So I'm, I'm excited about Mikheyev. Oh, of course. I'm excited too. And I think what a lot of Sea fans uh, maybe didn't realize at the time, but looking back now, it's just how much of an impact he has on the lineup. And you, you can tell just by the difference between how the Leafs were playing uh, just before his injury when Keith took over and since, since and after he got injured. Like He's very valuable to this team. Oh, of course. And I think you, you bring up a good point there because I feel like this break is kind of, it's almost like we're going into a new season, like even, even amongst the fans, like we're, we're excited. We see the, the team coming back. Um, and it felt like right before the break, it just felt like it was almost like so much was happening. Like we've still weren't over the kind of the Babcock firing and the backup goalie situation. And then the, the Zamboni game happened and it just felt like we were, you know, rolling down, down a hill going into the playoffs. And this break is, and then the injuries, obviously. Um, so I think this break has just given them kind of some time to, to figure out what they are. And I think mm -hmm. they look like a really strong competitor going into this playoff series. Of course, they have to play an extra five games potentially rather than just going into the, the you know, the, the usual first round. But um, I think there's reason to really be confident about this current team. They have... They have depth that I don't think they've had in the in the past, and and even like having Sandine as your seventh defenseman is is valuable when you're planning on going on a long run. And having guys like, um, let's say it's Engvall who doesn't play in game one, having Engvall and Patan and Dennis Malgin, guys that can really come into the lineup and and make a difference. And I just don't know if they've had that in the past. For sure, for sure, and um, I I completely agree with the your your impressions there. I, I definitely want to ask you uh, 
obviously with this return to play, we just what are your thoughts on the whole bubble situation and I guess the return to play format? Yeah, I, I guess time will tell, right? I think thus far um, they've done well. I mean, we haven't seen any any cases that uh, have come out, but. You know, I, I think with the NHL and the NBA and, and all these leagues, we, you kind of have to cut them some slack because it's a new situation for everyone. Um, they're also, they've also never, you know, faced anything like this and they have to kind of think on the fly as well. So, um, you know, I, I like that they've given, you know, the bubble includes some places that these players can get out and play golf. And uh, like, I think they have a barbecue area near BMO Field, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's nice that they've, given them you know kind of some places that they can also go out and have fun because i mean the stanley cup winner is going to be in there for quite a while so um it's 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 nice to see them also take into consideration the players and and their mental health as well for sure i definitely think uh the nhl did a good job of uh giving them a lot of uh access to you know a lot of uh amenities to kind of pass the time while they're here um also so far it's it's been going successfully i mean they've there's been no positive cases but let's just keep hoping for the uh for the best uh in the future um of course. i think that's just the the most important thing at the end of the day right is is the player's health and i mean they're going out there to to kind of put on a show for us so absolutely um, yeah it's definitely the most important absolutely all we can really do as fans is knock on wood that it doesn't get to that point. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, like uh, back to the Leafs, though. Uh, honestly, the probably the biggest player that everyone seems to be talking about right now is uh, Nick Robertson, and uh, what could he bring to the Leafs uh, during these playoffs? I want to ask you. I mean, after a few days now, how do you think Robertson did in his uh, debut, and do you think he'll become the real deal, or at least live up to the those expectations that people are setting for him in these playoffs? Yeah, I I think his ceiling is quite high. I think he's going to be a top six forward. Now, with that said, he's still 18. Um, making the jump from the OHL to the NHL is huge, um, and, and especially for a second rounder. And, and I know he's kind of surpassed those expectations of being a second rounder just because of how great his past season has been with Peterborough, but. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be like a top six winger or perform like that this playoffs. And I don't really don't think he has to be. Uh, I think he just needs to give that third line an extra kind of boost and get, get that shooting talent in there because the Leafs have really struggled um, producing from the third line and the fourth line this year. And a lot of that has to do with injuries. But now that they're healthy and having Robertson there, having that shot, his work ethic, I think, that became apparent very early to to a lot of Leaf fans is how hard he works off the puck. Um, and, and I don't think that's something that we're going to see stop. I think even in two years, three years, when he has a solid you know, spot on this team, I don't expect him to just all of a sudden stop working hard. I think that's just the type of player he is. Mm-hmm. That's the type of player he was with Peterborough when he was scoring you know, more than a goal a game. So, um, I think that's one thing they'll be excited about. Um, and I think he's just going to help that power play, the second power play anyways. Uh, they kind of haven't had an identity uh, this past year. And especially since they moved from back when they used to split the power plays and they had Marner on one unit um, and then Matthews and Nylander on the other. Once they started loading up the first one, I just felt like they never had an identity on that second power play. And having Robertson there just gives them a, a nice focal point to kind of build around. 
Absolutely. And you bring up a really good point about uh, helping the bottom six uh, get going offensively. One of the big storylines uh, was just the lack of production from the likes of Kerfoot and Kapanen, among others. And in this first game, the best line was the Kerfoot line. As we saw Kerfoot score, what was it, two goals? Two goals, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty yeah. impressive to see. I know, yeah. I think we, we really questioned the third line coming into this playoffs. And the thing with Kerfoot, uh, I think that he's, I don't want to say he's been unfairly kind of judged this year, but um, I just feel that he's, maybe he didn't look as good on the left wing with Tavares and Marner as, as a lot of people expected. And then when he wasn't there, he was he was on the third line as the center where I don't know if he got like the best wingers all the time just due to the injuries. Um, kind of sounds like I'm making excuses for him, but I, I think this playoffs is a nice little sample that we can really see what he really um, is going to give the Leafs. He's been strong defensively this year. Um, he's been pretty good in the face-off circle. So, you know, he's not known for goal scoring. Uh, you probably expect some assists and, and good defensive play from him going forward. But um, I think with Kerfoot, you know, we're really going to see just that stability going forward and what he really brings to that third line in this playoffs. And, and when it comes to Kapanen, I think, I was really excited about Kapanen anyways. I think that he played really gritty with that sandpaper. Um, that I think that's when, he, when he's at his best, when he starts to kind of stay away from the perimeter and really start to, to challenge forwards by trying to go to the net. Um, I think he almost had, he had one chance where he passed the puck to Robertson and he almost scored. And Kapanen cut in rather than turning back. And then the other one was obviously on the Kerfoot goal, uh, the shorthanded one where, you know, Kaplan was going pretty quick. He was in, in tight, and he made a little move, which kind of caused the rebound for Kerfoot to score. So um, that was really exciting for Kaplan. I just love that third line right now. I think it, it, it has enough speed and hard work on that line that they can really pressure the other team, um, the opposition. And I, I just don't think that Keith can be scared of having a third line, that third line anyways, go up against the other team's top line, for example, if they get caught off a face-off or, or an icing. Um, and I just don't think the Leafs have had, especially after Kadri got suspended last year, I, I don't think they had a third line that was like that, that they could be confident going up against the other team's top line if need be. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, all we can really hope for as Leaf fans is that that third line gets going because if all three lines are rolling, that's going to be great for the Leafs. Um, I want to just talk for a moment about something that I've been thinking about for the last little bit. And it's just going to be the on-ice perf- like, like reaction of players. Like We saw this during all the exhibition games. Yes, it was an exhibition game, but we saw the players kind of feel a bit reserved in their celebrations. Like, it's more like business as usual kind of thing. Do you think that we're going to be seeing a lot of that during these playoffs? Or do you think that was just the uh, re- react reflection of that being a meaningless game? I, I'm hoping that it's exhibition. You know, when you look at other sports... Um... I guess the other ones that have really come that have meaningful games would be, let's say like the English Premier League. Um, The celebrations are still pretty, you know, they do still celebrate, especially when there's a lot on the line. Um, I think about, for example, like UFC that they've been running for a couple of months now. Um, The celebrations have still been good there. So I guess based off of that, once the the actual meaning of the game and um, starts to, to ramp up, once the playoffs start, uh, you know, I guess I guess we, we hope that this is an optimistic answer, but uh, we hope that the, the celebrations uh, 
are really out there because the Leafs have some good ones, especially Matthew. For sure, for sure. Um, and now going into, uh, of course, the upcoming series that the uh, Leafs have to play. Uh, you recently previewed the uh, first round series against the Blue Jackets, so uh, that was a great piece as well for any listeners who haven't checked it out. Definitely check out his uh, series preview on the Leafs Nation. But uh, I mean, you highlighted a whole bunch, but uh, essentially, what are your keys to a Leafs victory? To the Leafs victory is um, well. First of all, I, I think they need to get to dangerous scoring areas. That's something that Columbus does really good is, is keeping them to the outside. Now I have a little caveat to that because when I look at it from Columbus's view, a big problem they have is that even if they keep to the outside, the Leafs have enough shooting talent that they can, they can score. I mean, even in the games this year against Columbus, the goals were a tumble from the power play, but one was that Matthews goal where he just roofed it right over um, Elvis's shoulder from the hash mark. Another one was a, a Marner goal around the hash mark. So they really don't need to be in the slot area to score. But from the Leafs' perspective, like they need to get to those dangerous scoring areas. It's something they struggled with last year against Boston, another team that really does well to keep the, the opponents to the outside. Um, another one would be their breakout. I think that mm-hmm. Columbus scores a ton of goals on, um, on the forecheck. So the Leafs, this year we've seen a, a very different uh, breakout from them as soon as Keith came um, into play we saw a lot more short like multiple short passes uh, but it was nice to see on Tuesday that the Leafs also did a few stretch passes now I know that that kind of got you know a, a bad rep when Babcock was was there but I think when done in moderation and done at the right time stretch passes are extremely important and they're going to be important against Columbus so I think a bit of both in terms of and being dynamic in your forecheck, um, that's going to be really important for the Leafs because Columbus's forecheck is ferocious and they transition from winning the puck back on the forecheck to generating dangerous scoring chances really quick. So I think that's really important for the Leafs. Absolutely. Um, and on Columbus' side of things, you mentioned that their forecheck is going to be very uh, paramount in uh, keeping the Leafs from uh, really getting anything going. And one of the other things we were hearing from Columbus's standpoint was their implementation of a power kill and Leaf in an attempt to throw off the Leafs' power play. Are those the kind of things that we could expect to see from them to try and uh, upset the Leafs? Yeah, I think from Columbus's standpoint, like it, the template's like pretty pretty sad. Like they do a very good job of limiting uh, rush chances. Something the Leafs want to do. They want to be skating. They want to be in a track meet. Columbus does really well of of turning the opposition's three-on-twos into three-on-fours because uh, they have such good forwards, defensive forwards that are going to come and back-check and help out their defensemen. Uh, another thing that Columbus that I would personally kind of want to exploit is, and the Leafs really haven't improved on this end, is is defending the cycle. So if I'm, the Leafs, if I'm Columbus, you know, it sounds cliche, but you want to get pucks in deep, you want to get on their defensemen, and you want to start their cycle because we've seen in the past that even under key for Babcock that the longer that this Leafs team is in their defensive end, the more problems that occur. Like Leafs' best defense is playing in the is offense. It's staying in the offensive zone. It's keeping puck possession away from their net and doing most of their defending in the neutral zone where they have a ton of really good neutral zone defenders like Thurman and Hall and Muzzin so, um, and Sandine when he does play. But um, So I think that's what Columbus needs to do. Try and spend as much time as you can 
um, in the offensive zone, but you also can't commit too many players because you don't want to be counterattacked by the Leafs. Absolutely. I think this is going to be a very, very close series. Uh, and I honestly think it'll go, you know, to four, probably five games. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to watch, honestly, as a, as a neutral, kind of a neutral standpoint even. Um, but if, if they fail to advance, what do you think the Leafs could do in the offseason to improve? Oof. I I definitely think that if they lose this, just being kind of the temperature around Frederick Anderson, and I don't want to make this too much of a hot take, but um, I think that if they lose this, just due to the – like Columbus really doesn't have too much shooting talent. Um, so I think that if they do lose this, Anderson's going to have to have – somewhat of a, a tough series so I think that's something that they might have to look into it's now been four playoff series um, I'm not saying definitely not saying that Anderson's it's, it's only his fault the past couple of playoff series but he's probably the only reason that they're there in the first place but um, or one of the main reasons anyway but I think that there's a ton of goaltenders that are going to be available this summer uh, or not this summer this offseason um so I think that's one route that they might have to look into. I still, I still really believe in Freddie. I think he's a phenomenal goalie. Uh, he's had a tough season, but I think he needs to win a he needs to win a playoff series with this group right now. Um, the other thing is, they, I, I wrote an article, and not to plug my own work, but I wrote an article a few months ago, um, looking at some underrated right-handed defensemen. Um, so I think that these are defensemen that right now are kind of undervalued by their current teams, whether that's playing on a shelter third pairing when they could be playing on a second pairing or to the seventh defenseman when they should be in the lineup. Um, I think that's a route that the Leafs could go. They did get Mikko Lettinen, who I'm not really sure if he can play on the right side, but just having another right-handed defenseman there, because right now the only one signed is Justin Hall, and, and if you want to include Timothy Lilligren, but I wouldn't say that he's a legit NHL um he's legitimately going to be in the NHL next year for sure. So I think that's another way that they can go in the off season if they lose or even if they win, I think regardless, that's, that's something they can look into. Mm-hmm. I think it absolutely. I think if uh, the Leafs failed to advance much like last, uh, after last playoffs, um, Kyle Dubes has, you know, some thinking to do about the next steps, just like how he had to last, uh, after last season. I'd be upset though think we all would yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) um well let's just hope it never gets to that because i think a lot of leaf fans are hoping that this is the year that they can actually can do something in these playoffs and like you said freddie does need this playoff uh a playoff series win just to boost his confidence uh just before we let you go we want to ask you do you think this team can go deep on a on a deep run why or why not i think they can i think any time that you are when you have an elite offensive core as good as the Leafs, you always have a chance to win. Now, I know that this question is about their defense, but the thing is, when you when you have an offense that's so good, you really don't need to be as good defensively. Um, I think if the Leafs can be even mediocre defensively, that they can go far. We've seen that with teams like Pittsburgh in the past. Um, and, and, you know, when you look at it, last year, they, and I don't want to bring it up last year again, but, um, they were close to beating one of the best teams in the league. They have a tough route again where they have Tampa and they probably have to go through Tampa or Boston or both. So again, like last year, they were pretty much, you know, one game away from advancing. Um, so 
you know, I, I think that they're right there. I think they're a contender right now. Um, they just need to perform. I think when, when kind of the going gets tough and they, they need their players, their, their good players not to get suspended. So uh, Kerfoot's going to be, going to be in the spotlight for that. He, he can't have a bad hit, especially if DeBrus comes near him. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this Leaf team does have what it takes to, uh, we can only hope that they actually do realize those expectations because the last thing we want to see is this Leafs team struggle yet again and all the uh, narratives that are going to come out of it. Of course, I know that. I, I think just the, the management in general is, is tired of hearing those narratives. But, uh, I mean, I, I completely understand where those people come from in terms of, you know, expecting them to be a little bit tougher and better defensively because, um, you know, historically the teams that do win are able to win one-on-one battles and they're able to, um, you know, kind of tough it out when it's, when the going gets tough. And so, you know, I, I definitely understand that side of the coin too, but um, you know, you just, you just hope that the Leafs uh, kind of get over that hump sooner than later, sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Um, so th- th- those are all our questions. And honestly, uh, first I want to say thank you for coming on. And uh, I mean, we, we, I guess we just can't wait for, uh, for hockey to really get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I think, like I said before, I'm just really excited, like both of you guys, to be on the Leafs Nation, and um, you know, I think we have a really good team right now. So I'm excited to see kind of the work that's put out there during this playoff run, and hopefully it's a long one. That way, uh, you know, we can continue to shine and do some good work. A hundred percent. I mean, we've only mm-hmm. been there for a couple of weeks, and so far the experience has been uh, so great. Honestly, the whole team is is unreal. I mean, even to our Slack chats, everything's just so. Uh, everyone's just so nice and friendly and connected and uh, I love that um do you want to plug your uh social your social medias and where um the listeners can find your uh your work yeah sure so uh you could find my writing at um at the Leafs Nation uh you can follow me on Twitter at Nick D'Souza underscore and you can listen to the Everything Leaves podcast where myself and Kevin Papetti of Maple Leafs Hot Stove break down the Leafs um, usually we do the Marlies uh, and prospects as well, but right now obviously the AHL is is on shutdown. So um, we'll be doing post game podcasts um, for the playoffs. So you can find that at Police Nation or uh, at my Twitter. So um. awesome. So uh, again, if anyone uh, has who's listening has not checked out Nick's work yet. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, he's a great writer, and uh, his analysis is on point always. So definitely check out his, his work at uh, the Leafs Nation. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on today, man. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Uh, I hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks. Well, well, well. Another awesome interview. What did you think of that, Matthew? It was awesome. Nick's such an amazing guy. And, and just m- make sure you guys check out his work because um, I assure you, you won't be let down by any of his uh, articles. They're they're so insightful and uh, his analysis is always so great. Um, but I think we want to keep this ball rolling and head into the uh, our NBA redraft. I know we took a break last week because we had such a content-filled episode last week, but we're continuing. And this uh, this week we're doing the 2011 NBA redraft. Okay, 
first of all, great job on the pun. You're still in my job now. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes. So, as Matthew said, we are doing the 2011 NBA redraft. Uh, we didn't do it last week just because of time constraints. But I can assure you that we're we're coming back strong with probably one of the best drafts uh, already for this NBA draft redo. Uh, I can already tell what the first two picks are. I don't. We don't need to go too much into it, but... Matthew, what are your early impressions of what this NBA draft is going to be? This NBA draft is honestly like now looking back, like it's it's it hasn't even been like a full decade since this draft occurred, and I can honestly say it's probably one of the best drafts we've ever seen. I won't say it's the best, you know, the 2003 draft, the 1984 draft, those are still the 96 draft, those are all still very high up as the the greatest draft of all time, but this is up there. Just the amount of quality stars and superstars that are up there um, makes this a really um, a really big draft. A lot of impact players in the, that impact the NBA today. Absolutely. Yes, I'm really looking forward to doing this redraft. And let's not waste any more time. Uh, last, yes, the last time we did this, I took the first, had the first pick uh, for the 2010 draft. This time, uh, Matthew's going to go first. And uh, Matt, why don't you uh, cut us off with uh, probably the unanimous first pick? This one's pretty easy uh, because I believe this player stands above the rest of the superstars in this draft. But, uh, I mean, the Toronto Raptors fans got to enjoy him last season. And he signed with the Clippers this season. And, uh, again, no hate to him, I don't think, from any Toronto fans um, because uh, he went home. He went home, and that's what it comes down to. And, uh, yeah, just a superstar with San Antonio, Toronto, and now Los Angeles, uh, Kawhi Leonard. What's what's what what can you really say about him that hasn't been said already? Arguably a top three player in the league, um, probably you could say the best player last season in the whole NBA, and uh, just one of the he could arguably work his way into an all-time great position, uh, one of the all-time greats because two Finals MVPs, two NBA championships, two Defensive Player of the Year awards, um, four-time All-Star. You know, his his resume is already stacked, and he's only 29, so he still has a lot more to go. I can say a few things about Kawhi. He's a fun guy. <laughs> he's a board man that got paid. Aha, ha, ha. And I can think of four bounces that will define his NBA career. For sure. You couldn't have said it any other way. Um, honestly, just he's, his work ethic is unmatched. I think that's what a lot of people realize and i think that's what boosted him to the top and and this redraft just an easy easy first overall pick but we'll keep it going who do you have second overall this one is i think looking back was probably the second best player in this draft and it's not to say that this player is bad by any stretch but uh like when you compare it to the guy that we who just went first uh his his career is uh not like as of impactful but he is one of the splash brothers and that pretty much spoiled it right there clay thompson that's exactly who I had at second. Clay Thompson has been just an amazing force. Um, one of the greatest shooters of all time. And he's right next to arguably the greatest shooter of all time. I'd definitely say Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. Um, and Clay Thompson is probably, if not the second best of all time, he's right up there. And uh, he's been consistent his entire career. He's been just as helpful to the team's uh, dynasty. Um and we seen it last uh, last year in the finals 
just how big of an impact he made. If he honestly, if he did not get injured in Game Six, he was going off. He could have willed the Warriors to a victory in Game Six. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you something quickly. Um, who's the better sidekick, Clay Thompson or Scottie Pippen? That's tough. I think both are underrated in their own ways. I think Clay Thompson could definitely be, you know, a number one option on any other team that doesn't have a number one option. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's that good. Um, I can't say who's better. They both play different styles, completely different styles. Both teams are built on different styles of play. But I think they're def- they they complement their superstar, which is Steph Curry and Michael Jordan, perfectly. Absolutely. I'm going to slightly go. I agree. It's it's a tough one to, to uh, gauge. But if I'm going to make, make a pick, I'd probably give just the slight edge to Clay only because uh, we saw Scottie Pippen in his number one role. Yes, the, rap, the Bills did really well, but uh, his... Uh, actions during the 90 what was the 94 playoffs will probably mm-hmm. leave a big stain on his ability to lead a team but that's not to say he's a bad player he definitely could have if he if he had the leadership role from the start he probably would have helped done it really well for sure for sure so i have my third overall pick and uh this one was hard I, i'll actually admit and i know a lot of people um you know i i'll, I'll say this um it's very close um because mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it now. For me, it's between Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker. And I'll give my Ooh. hot, hot take right now. I definitely do like Kemba Walker a lot more to have on a team than uh, Kyrie Irving. I think he brings more success around him. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Kemba Walker has been more consistent. But I won't say that. Uh, I, w- I will say that Kyrie Irving is a game breaking player. He can change the, uh, the course of a game uh, with yep. his play. Um, he just needs to be more consistent. And uh, again, we know there's been troubles with uh, just how he conducts himself in with the team. And it's hard to bring success with him sometimes. But I'm going to take Kyrie Irving here. But it's been really close. And uh, I was I was about to take Kemba even above Kyrie. But uh, I think I'm going to go Kyrie for this one. I think Kyrie. Yeah, mm. I think he had a really good start to his career. Kemba and, Walker uh, is so underrated, especially when he was in Charlotte. I think it comes with the the just the market but he's been so consistent and he's i would say he's been you know the best guard in the east for the last few years and he's getting more credit there in boston now so i'm happy for that but about, uh, this one's about Kyrie right now oh absolutely i think you made a good pick with Kyrie. huh yes he fell a couple of spots but i think he's definitely deserving to be in the top three for sure mm-hmm. let's not forget his time in cleveland was unmatched that's where you know a lot of his superstar talent really shined um you know in boston he kind of had trouble being their number one option and really clicking as much as he wanted to obviously he missed a lot of games too um and i think it brings back to the kemba Kyrie uh argument that kemba seems like a perfect fit in boston where Kyrie couldn't really fit but kairi has been so far good in brooklyn Again, he's been missing out, but we'll see how he plays with uh, Kevin Durant in the next couple seasons. Absolutely. Um, I'm, we're going to move on to now the fourth pick, and I'm very happy that this player is still available because he is one of the un- most underrated uh, picks from this draft, and I think he's one of the biggest uh, like gems of this draft, being select- originally selected 30th overall and going on to become a multi-time All-Star. And his story is awesome before I just get into his name. Uh, just just how he came to be uh, getting to the NBA and his, the struggles he had to endure just to get to where he is. Like he's definitely worth 
uh, all the pra- like the, ha- the success he's been getting, and that is Jimmy Butler. Awesome, awesome pick. Jimmy Butler has uh, again another player who's uh, he he's definitely a leader on a team, number one option guy, and uh, he's just been kind of bouncing around because he's been trying to find his perfect fit, and I think he's found it now in Miami. Um, what's not to say about him? Five-time NBA All-Star, two-time uh, third team, All-NBA third team. Uh, and uh, he's uh, his defense is great, four-time uh, defensive second team. Um, and he won Most Improved Player in uh, 2015. So uh, honestly, there's not a lot you can't, you can't say about him. Uh, I think he's, he's found his spot in Miami, and he's leading them to success. Absolutely. And I'm glad that... Uh... He's found success everywhere he's gone because this is a player that deserves success. Like considering like this, this, the, his upbringings and mm-hmm. how he was home at one point. Uh, this is a guy that like you want to root for because like, like these are the kind of stories like they, that are inspiring, you know, a hundred percent and just a superstar talent. Can't put it any other way. He is a superstar in this league and he has those game breaking abilities. And uh, yeah, we'll see how Miami progresses. They, they look like they clicked instantly. Absolutely. Uh, why don't you go with the fifth pick? So, uh, thankfully, the player I was just talking about also fell into my lap. So, I'm glad I picked Kyrie there because I also get to pick him here. Uh, Kemba Walker, super underrated yeah. player, uh, getting more recognition now in Boston, but uh, still, I feel like is underrated and probably I say the best guard in the East this season. Um, he's been the most consistent, and I really like him. But yeah, with my pick, uh, Kemba Walker. I definitely want to mention that uh, the Boston Celtics are a much better team with Kemba Walker than they were last season and the year before with Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to say to say that those things, but it's true. I, I've been really impressed with how they've been playing. I think this is the this might be the team that makes some noise out of the Eastern Conference if it's not the Milwaukee Milwaukee Bucks or the Toronto Raptors. Like the Celtics are right there. Yeah, and I think it goes back to you know it's not just about putting together superstars. Kyrie Irving is a superstar and he has that superstar talent, but I think Boston has a better fit with Kemba Walker. I think he just fits into their system much better than Kyrie did. And I think that's what really brings them their success. Um, Even though, you know, some people might not consider him as much of a superstar talent uh, as Kyrie Irving. But for me, Kemba's my top point guard in the East. Um, But we'll move on to the next pick. Ooh, this is gonna be uh, interesting because like number six, the yeah, five, we're pretty easy to uh, go through. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll try to keep it shorter here, so we'll just go kind of rapid here. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, how do I go about this? There are some. There are so many players I could be taking here. Um, really quality players too, but I think I'm gonna go a little bit off the board here. This is definitely going a little bit off the board, and I'm going to take Tobias Harris at number six. Nice. That's a good pick. Uh, Yeah, Tobias Harris is just a solid, solid um, NBA player. And this season uh, as well, he's been playing really well with uh, Philadelphia. And uh, we've seen it during his career, uh, especially during his time last season with the Clippers. He's kind of grown into this really solid, dependable player. Absolutely, and he's—I think he's fitting really well on Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I think it was a definitely an interesting uh, dilemma they had to decide whether to keep him or Butler. And while Butler probably was the better is the better player for sure, 
Tobias Harris is a good player in his own right. I think he's in very well on that team, like as one of the top three options. For sure, for sure. Um, so with my seventh pick, uh, I'm going to take uh, another big, uh, Nikola Vucevic from the Orlando Ed. Magic. Excellent. That was one of the players I was considering taking. Mm-hmm. He's been great, and he's his uh, progression was a little slower than some of the superstars that we see uh, or some of the stars that we see today, but um, he's grown into an all-star now. Last season, he had an all-star. Uh, he was an all-star. And uh, this season, he's been uh, a solid player as well. Absolutely. Yes. Vukovic is one of those players. Like I think both the Magic have something going there. It's it's weird to say. Like Yes, they have uh, never really realized their potential fully, but they're, they're a team that can do some damage. For sure. Uh, if, if, if all the right pieces come into play. For sure. They're just looking to... Uh find find those players they just need to fill in those gaps but i think nikola nikola vucevic is a mainstay for many years to come for them absolutely um okay so now at the number eight pick this one is a player who i think definitely defied the odds after the draft and now jumps all the way to number eight yes he's not the same player he once was but he's still a productive player, and he's still kicking it with the Washington Wizards. And that is, of course, he, Isaiah Thomas. Man, Isaiah Thomas. I could talk so much about him, man. Just such an amazing player. And like you said, defied the odds. And honestly, a couple weeks ago, I was just looking into, you know, watching highlights, you know, especially back in 2016, 2017, his, his uh, kind of his, his prime, really, in this league. When he was with the Boston Celtics, man, that was insane. Like, I can't even put it any other way. He was Mr. Fourth Quarter. Um, he just, he was honestly, like, willing that team of really a team that was still trying to rebuild from the Kevin Garnett era. And he he willed them to um, multiple playoff appearances. And and, and they, they even went pretty deep in the playoffs, too. So that that time with him, especially 2017, where he was you know, looking to be an MVP candidate, uh, 2016 as well. Um, yeah, just, he, he jumped up to like, honestly, a top five player, those couple seasons in the league. And I would have said the, probably the top point guard in the East during that time. Um, if it wasn't Kyrie or Lowry. Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say about him. I mean, it's unfortunate that injury troubles led to him, kind of uh regressing um and i really hope he finds a a really good fit or he finds his game again but isaiah thomas what a player absolutely i agree all i can really say is i hope his uh he can get over his injuries he's then better when he's on the floor and he's performing really well not just because the fact that he's uh undersized but also just the fact that he made the jump from like a 60 the, the last pick in the draft to one of the best players in the league uh, during his peak. Like this is a player that can still ball. I think if he gets healthy, this is a player that uh, can still provide value to a lot of teams. Let's not forget the size uh, disadvantage he's went through all his life, really, all his career. I mean, what he's five nine. I mean, we don't see players that short anymore and that small. And he he was fast and he just he played so well and he shot really well too. Absolutely um there's we're down to our last two picks let's quickly go over them but uh, you're gonna hear up first with number nine so with my ninth pick uh i'm gonna take a player that raptors fans are really uh really familiar with 
and that's uh, Jonas Valanciunas, who nice. plays for the Memphis Grizzlies now. And uh, I really think he's been growing a lot more, um, especially with the Grizzlies. Um, the last couple seasons, it's been hard to find that fit with Toronto. He's been kind of inconsistent. I remember when he was drafted, though, he came out of the gates as a rookie as well, like very promising. Um, I just don't think his fit was perfect in Toronto. I think Toronto found a better fit with Marcus Gasol, so that trade worked both ways. But I think mm-hmm. Memphis is... Uh, I think he's developing really well with Memphis right now and honestly could maybe even reach an all-star caliber player in, in, in the next couple seasons. Absolutely agree. He's been uh, developing really well. I think it was really tough to see him go like in that trade, but when you look back at it, you can you can accept that that trade had to happen. But Valanciunas, great player. He deserved to be uh, have, have a lot of success in Memphis, and I hope that he can be a key part of that team uh, when they return to playoff contention uh, after this year and beyond. For sure. And now let's close it out with your final pick. Okay. Um, this is this was definitely the, the most difficult one to pick because there's so many players that I'm going to be leaving out, and I'm already going to know there's going to be people very upset, with regardless of where, which direction mm. I go. But at the end of the day, I knew that this player – have to be taken in the top 10 because he's definitely had a great career. Uh, and that's Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor, definitely. Um, and again, another player, like if you know his story, uh, of course, uh, um, just just a great story and how he's uh, made in basketball as well. Um, but again, just a, a great player and he's become a really solid rotation player. Although he, he kind of fell in this draft from third overall down to 10th, but uh, definitely just a solid rotation player and, and really someone you can really rely on off the bench, um, uh, even in your starting lineup on certain nights. Absolutely, too. Um, this is a player that's definitely good on both ends of the floor. 100%. Great players super valuable in this league, even mm. if they're not like the superstar players like Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi is the best two-way player in the league. But Ennis Kenter is like a definitely in a, a great like sixth man option. Like you still need those kind of players on your team, and I think Ennis Kenter fits that role extremely well. Yes, he probably shouldn't have gone third overall in the NBA draft, but he's still a top ten worthy pick in my eyes. A hundred percent. So now let's uh, close out this episode uh, with a few of our honorable mentions that didn't make the top ten, but there's still so much talent in this draft. We have to give recognition where it's due. A couple of names that. Um, that I had listed were uh, Tristan Thompson for the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, Torontonian from Brampton, um, Bismack Biombo. I'm sure Raptors mm-hmm. fans remember him and the crazy oh. uh, playoff run he had in 2016 with the Raptors. Um, and everyone's dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Markeith Morris and Marcus Morris. Um, obviously, they, uh, the brothers who are kind of the L.A. brothers now on opposing teams. That's always cool, but they are uh, very solid players. How about you? Do you have any names? A couple players. One player that I was really sad to leave out was Bojan Bogdanovic, mm-hmm. a, a great scorer off the bench. Like he's been excellent everywhere he's been. And I remember uh, he was a he played, he was one of the bright spots on those Nets teams that were really struggling in the early portions, like after the uh, failed trade to get uh, Kevin Durant, uh, Paul Pierce, and. Uh, I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head. But, yeah, a great mm. player. Um, another player that comes off comes to mind is uh, Brandon Knight. Uh, unfortunate uh, how his career has turned out, but he's definitely a, a worthy player to be taking this draft. And Chandler Parsons, another mm. player that's been ravaged by injuries. 
And one more player. I have to mention, uh, I have to make sure this is the same guy. Yes, Raptors legend Corey Joseph was also taken yes. in this. Corey Joseph was as well, and I also want to say uh, Reggie Jackson and uh, uh, Nikola Miritich, also yeah. solid players in the NBA uh, who've had their time. But uh, just such a great, uh, just such a great draft. Draft, honestly. Excellent. Absolutely agree. Uh, so that's going to be it for the 2011 draft. Uh, excellent draft, like you said. The 2012 draft will be next week, and I have to say. I'm looking forward to that one too. Just, just I just took a quick glance at what the stats are for some of the players. Uh, I don't. I think we might have another case of the 2010 draft on our hands. 2010 or 2011? Like for 2012, when we go for next week. Yeah, um, there's a lot of talent in that draft. Uh, obviously, not as much as this draft, but it'll be good. So that's next yeah. week. So stay tuned. But I think we'll close out the episode now. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you so much, and. Uh, Hope you guys are back next week uh, listening. Uh, actually, uh, Michael, are you going away next week? Is that next week? Oh, not this, not next week, but the week after. But okay. yes, next, uh, in a few weeks, I will be up to the cottage mm-hmm. for much-needed R&R time. So we but will yeah. take a break in two weeks, but next week we will be back uh, with more content. But uh, to close out the episode, as always, you can follow me, tweet me, message me at my Twitter, which is at Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Leafs IMO and find both of our work at the Leafs Nation. By the way, Matthew has an article coming up possibly today or maybe tomorrow at the time of recording. I'm mm. really looking forward to it. Spoiler alert, it's about Nick Robertson. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome. Looking but forward to it. For sure. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening and I hope you guys have a great day and catch you guys next week. Bye.